Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. I'm deeply appreciative of the support and encouragement you listeners have provided this podcast. Some of you have commented that you've enjoyed what I've shared and have learned from it. The Aikido world really is a community and we benefit by connecting. Making these podcasts feels a little strange, like a one-way conversation. It's really nice to hear from you because I can get a sense of the connection. Thank you very much for your kind words and taking the time to say them. The topic for today's podcast is my journey to make Aikido practical for self-defense. To set the stage, I'm going to share some personal background and give you an idea of how I look at it. My perspective is not the only way, or perhaps even the best way, but it's the way that makes sense to me. Perhaps you will find inspiration in what I share in this podcast. Perhaps it will give you ideas for what you can add to your training, or just a slightly different way to look at your own approach. Each of us has our own unique path to the martial arts, and our journeys are all different. We grow the most when we are exposed to new things. These influences and inspirations are often unexpected, but come to us when we need them the most. The journey to evolve my Aikido and make it more practical started more than 12 years ago and continues to this day. Frankly, I don't know when exactly it started, but my interest in practical self-defense was primary from day one. My path to martial arts came from my interest in handling myself in a violent situation. Like most kids, I had a few experiences with bullies who wanted to push me around. My first martial training started when I was about 13 years old, at a time when combative options really hadn't come around yet. Wrestling and boxing were not available to me, and these seemed more like sports anyway. Had I known then what I know now, I would have made an effort to pursue wrestling. The reason is that it's a fantastic base for martial training. Suffice to say that my interest in martial arts was not at all aesthetic. I wasn't drawn to the philosophical or spiritual aspects anywhere near as much as I was drawn to the physical. Maybe that was the naivety of being a teenager. It wasn't long before the philosophy and matters of the spirit were of interest to me, but even as those interests in these topics grew, they never diminished my interest in the solid physical base of martial arts. I've noticed many people are so enamored with philosophy, spirituality, and character development that they neglect the physical aspect of their martial art training. This has always puzzled me, and I suppose everyone should pursue their interest, but it seemed a little like using a Ferrari as a lawn ornament. Why have something that is functional and capable, but use it for a purpose other than what it was designed for? A Ferrari certainly is gorgeous looking, but that's not its main feature. To each their own, I guess. I won't go too deep into my martial background, because it just isn't that relevant or terribly interesting. At about 15, though, I fell in love with a full-contact martial sport, which was pretty much only sparring. If we look at fully structured training of Aikido, with instructors guiding students through individual concepts to painstaking detail, this art was the polar opposite. There was no formal instruction, but you put on gear and went out and sparred. You learned almost entirely by the trial and error method. Either you succeeded or you failed, and if you failed, you had to figure out why and how to fix it. I figured this was much like boxing and pugilism back in the 1800s, where skilled boxers were the ones who figured it out all on their own. This is unlike 20th century boxing, where coaches and trainers create the path of development that a fighter follows to become successful. The boxer follows strict instruction to become what the coach wants him to be. A perfect example is Mike Tyson and his coach, Cus D'Amato. Mike would likely never have become a world champion without the genius of D'Amato molding him. It's a fascinating story if you're interested, but the point is that I was in charge of my own development for much of my martial journey. I found those who were successful and fought them, studied them, and shared ideas with them. 
Even so, most of my experience was with coming up with my own ideas, trying them out, and seeing if they worked well or not. I was always adjusting and tuning my own skills. The others I found who were doing the same were very much a brotherhood, and we were both interested in competing at our best and pushing our own limitations higher. It's this process and mindset that I brought to Aikido when I found it. If there was one core principle that never left my mind was the idea that something worked or it didn't. No excuses, no justifications. You either succeeded or you failed. Your opponent may have made more mistakes than you did, but that doesn't excuse your own mistakes. In high-pressure competition, when it really matters, you need to make as few mistakes as possible, and preferably no mistakes at all. You must eye up your opponent correctly and draw him into playing to your strengths while you play to his weaknesses. You have one chance to do this. Screw up and you are done. Period. I feel that the same sentiment is echoed in self-defense. The stakes are your safety and maybe even your life. There is no room for slop or messy execution. No room for playing around or not taking it seriously. Your mind works differently in high stress, and just because you practice well doesn't mean you can perform well under pressure. You have to play smart and make no mistakes. Your body must be ready to go and your mind sharp. One mistake and you are done. Highly skilled martial artists and competitors understand this, but it is a principle that many martial artists cannot relate to. Doing katas, getting down movement patterns, and working out the minutiae of techniques do nothing to prepare your mind for a high-stakes situation. Preparing your body and preparing your mind are related, but are not the same thing. Performing under stress is a whole different world. It took competing at high levels for me to fully understand that. When I started Aikido in 2004, I was happy to empty my cup and start from square one. This was an opportunity to learn with structure and I was eager to experience that. I wanted to miss nothing. What I came in with was that I was athletic and I had built an eye for dealing with live opponents trying to best me. A few decades of that builds quite a feel for intent and how to program solid responses so they become useful quickly. You also build a feel for when an opponent is weak or vulnerable and how best to exploit it. As a competitor, you also learn control. There's no call for annihilating somebody when you don't need to. You learn to conserve energy because a fight could last a few seconds, minutes, or up to an hour or more. I loved being guided through the fundamentals of movement and principles by a skilled teacher, and I have to say that my instructor was very good. When I got to about brown belt level, I started seeing how these fundamentals fit into what I already knew. The next step was to start fusing them together. I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but one of my fellow students was also interested in having his Aikido be practical. When we paired up, we started what, with what the instructor showed and would ramp up the speed, intensity, variations, and resistance to test the boundaries of our technique. As our ukemi got really solid, we would turn on the heat with each other. We honed our own focus on what was needed to apply it under pressure. I found that not many students were interested in that kind of training, so with them I would practice at the level of intensity they preferred. Once I got the blessing from my shihan at the time to open my own dojo, I started taking a whole new look at how I would and should train students. Fortunately, he gave me the latitude to train how I wanted. I had great respect for the structure and teachings passed on to me, but I did start to scrutinize them. My training habit as a competitor always had me asking myself, is this the best way? Could it be done better? What's missing and needs to be addressed? In competition, losing points out these shortcomings very clearly. Seeing other competitors succeed gives you ideas for how you might improve. But Aikido has almost none of that valuable feedback. While it's fun to throw around a cooperative attacker, 
training like this is of limited benefit. Somewhere around brown belt level, two things happened which had a profound effect on my training. First, I started cross-training. It was a very small and informal class with two extremely skilled and experienced martial artists, both of whom had and have extensive experience in real-world violence. They exposed me to practical techniques from a variety of sources, such as wrestling, pugilism, pigmaccia, which is Greek boxing, savat, which is French kickboxing, cane fighting, and others. This opened up my perception immensely and showed me powerful and simple tools and techniques which were just too good not to integrate into my own Aikido. What I found over time is that they were not far off the movements and principles I was taught in Aikido. Many of the techniques I learned were far simpler and more direct than typically practiced in Aikido. My competition experience told me that simple and direct prevails over complex and fancy. The second thing that happened which had a profound effect on my training was that my instructor admitted that he had nothing left to teach me. I was at a level of ability that he felt he didn't have anything more to offer. Although I disagreed with his statement, I could understand what would make him say that. It also put me in a place I was pretty comfortable with being, that is, in charge of my own martial development. To this day, I still have the utmost respect for my instructor, and I'm very thankful for having him as my teacher. There comes a day when a student must seek other mentors. It just happens. With my own dojo, I felt a certain pressure to conform to the test criteria of the organization I was in and to adhere to the same practices I was taught. The first and biggest crisis of faith for me came with how Aikido deals with knife attacks. The organization I was in was more martial-oriented than most, and even then I realized the knife defense stuff was pretty suspect. Sword disarms were even more ridiculous. Yet, since these techniques were part of test criteria, I still felt I had to teach them because my students could advance without them. About this time, I resigned the organization over a serious matter I would have no involvement in, nor would my conscience allow me to subject my students to. I was on the cusp of my Sandan test when this happened, which was in the fall of 2014. Going independent freed me up to examine and modify everything I felt needed adjustment or updating. One might think that I went after this like a kid in a candy store, but the opposite was true. It didn't feel right abandoning what I was taught. I felt I needed to be very deliberate about everything that I did, and even kept many things merely because I hadn't found better options yet. I set out to look at everything for what to add, what to remove, and what to adjust. Rome was built one brick at a time, and I felt that this is what I must do too. It still doesn't feel right to omit things that I was taught, but usually there are better and more direct ways to instill the same principles in students than the way that I was taught. To be fair, I've kept some exercises and teachings, but I'm at the point now where I've added and adjusted far more than I've kept. The approach that made the most sense to me was to steal and integrate the very best that other arts have to offer. What do they do better than Aikido? If something is efficient and it works, I would use it. Of course, it must abide by the basic philosophy of Aikido, which is to end violence as quickly as possible without doing unnecessary harm. I suppose some might argue about whether this is the basic philosophy of Aikido or not, but it's what Aikido is to me. When it came to orienting my Aikido training more towards self-defense, I felt that a good starting point would be to identify the most likely attacks someone would encounter in real life, then teach the simplest and most reliable methods for dealing with them. That would be the basis for my new first belt test criteria. A martial art has to be practical first and foremost. I believe that failure to adhere to this simple concept is responsible for Aikido's poor reputation nowadays. 
a student shouldn't need years of training to get familiar with and fairly comfortable dealing with a hard shove, haymaker punch, kick to the leg, jab cross combo, a clinch, leg takedown, and basic grappling on the ground. These are not the only attacks they might encounter in a real fighter ambush, but they comprise the vast majority of them. Once I completely restructured the test criteria and the training to prepare new students for them, I found great results. Students built comfort with them pretty quickly. The recipe is to give them good and simple tools, explain clearly, and build their comfort so they can get to the point of live play. You can call it sparring, rolling, or giawaza. It's all really just the same thing. The key is to do it in stages and build confidence. If a student starts getting freaked out, you slow down and go back to where they aren't getting overwhelmed. This is how all combat arts train, and it provides better results faster than anything else. Why shouldn't Aikido training use the same model? If it's effective, use it. Every art has their top handful of techniques, which are their bread and butter. A wrestler has leg takedowns and body controls. A boxer has his bob and weave and jab cross combo. A Muay Thai fighter has his thigh kick and the clinch. Every art or style has their specialties. I felt that my students would be well prepared if they were familiar with the top techniques of other arts so they would be prepared to deal with them. The idea of outboxing a boxer or outwrestling a wrestler just doesn't make sense. Of course, if you want to beat a competitor at their own game, you must train extensively in their art. From a strategy point of view, you don't want to face your attacker's strength, you want to take them at their weakness. Protecting yourself is not a sport, it's survival. Once you get used to dealing with a certain attacker style, it's easier to spot and you become far less vulnerable to it. You will never become invincible, but you vastly improve your chances of success by getting used to different manner of attacks. The more common a particular attack is, the more training time you should spend on it. For this reason, I rarely use Shomenuchi or Yokomenuchi attacks anymore. They are just too stylized, and I like to use attacks which are closer to the ones that my students may likely encounter. Over the years, I've addressed these different attacks one by one and continue to do so. I've got a long way to go, but this is a solid foundation for any martial artist. What we build on top of that will be sound if the foundation is sound. The journey of doing this is very enjoyable, and there's always something new and exciting to work on and develop. Many times I've wondered whether it might be appropriate for me to shift the name of what I do from Aikido to something else, like Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. My classes have gotten away from being stuck in endless katas the way most Aikido dojos appear to be training. Maybe for that reason, Aikido is not the right term. However, I believe that I am staying true to what Osensei and his primary students were, which was capable and competent to deal with whatever attack might be presented to them. It's for that reason that I think that Aikido seems to be the right term. It was not an easy or fast process to overhaul what I spent more than a decade learning, but it was well worth the effort. For me, Aikido is and it will always be a work in progress, not a destination. There's no reason that Aikidoka cannot train with other martial artists, even martial sport practitioners like boxers and wrestlers, without feeling like a fish out of water. We should have experience in their world because it makes us stronger and more capable. The more we dwell in our self-imposed isolation, the weaker and more irrelevant Aikido will be. As for how to go about it, there are many options. First and foremost, don't get caught up in thinking you need to pick the best art to complement your Aikido. They all have something to offer. Some are easier to get good things out of than others. It takes time to sift through and find what you believe to be valuable. As with all things, help from others makes this far easier than trying to do it alone. 
It may seem like you need to sign up to another martial art and grind through from start to finish. I don't think this is necessary, although it would really boost your abilities. My suggestion is to find highly skilled people who can cross-train and explore with you. Always be on the lookout for new sources to learn from. If we set the ego and pride aside to learn from other arts and take the very best they have to offer, the better we and our art will be. Never expect someone else will do it for you, whether it is your instructor or the head of your organization. The desire and intent must come from within you. While Osensei passed away around the time I was born, I have great respect for his accomplishments. His legacy is one of extraordinary prowess, and those who practice Aikido should be good reflections of it. Just my opinion. Thanks very much for listening. There's a topic I've been thinking about covering for a while now, but it's a bit of a deep dive, so I'm curious if you listeners would be interested in it. The topic is what role hypnotism and mental manipulation play in martial arts training, for both good and bad. It seems like this is the best explanation as to how things like no-touch knockouts, no-touch throws came into being. Please leave a comment if you're listening on YouTube. You can also go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment there. Your input and engagement helps podcasts like these stay around. Please support it by liking, subscribing, and sharing. Enjoy your training!